Welcome to the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the nationally recognized preferred provider for asset protection and tax planning in the nation. This show is for investors and business owners looking to save on taxes and build long-term wealth with Toby Mathis, an attorney, author, business owner, and a featured instructor at Anderson's Tax and Asset Protection event held throughout the country. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, this is Toby Mathis with the Anderson Business Advisors podcast. And today I have Ed Bryan on, and I'm just going to preface this. The IRS hates what Ed does, but they can't stop what Ed does because it's so effective. But if you go up and you, and I'll let Ed explain what he does, but it is so effective when you meet the criteria to use a company like Ed. And so I, I never get to start like that. So Ed, first off, welcome. Thank you. And do you think I'm exaggerating when I say that? Is, is that a fair statement? That it's, the, a fair sta- it's a very, very fair statement. All right. So then the big question is, what do you do and why are they mad at you guys? Yeah. That, no, thanks, Toby. Appreciate it. Let me so just lob you a grenade. Here you go, Ed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. No. So, so what we do is we help taxpayers, you know, business owners, entrepreneurs take advantage of a tax code, right? That's been around since 1986. The tax code is called 831B, right? Everybody's heard of 401k. Businesses understand the benefits of a 401k, the tax advantages, et cetera, right? Setting aside money for retirement. Well, 831B allows a small to mid-sized business owner or an entrepreneur to set aside money for self-insured risks down the road for future liabilities, right? Um, and those premiums that they that they pay right into basically an insurance company that they own are a tax deduction, right? And that's why the IRS, want, you know, they have a little bit of heartburn, right? Uh, yeah. About that, right? Um, so that's what we do. You know, our website's 831B.com, right? We're not hiding from it. We're, we're, we're stepping right into into the storm, if you will. We've been doing this for 12 years, but really, you know, it's, it's a big business tool, right? It's been around for almost 40 years, but like a lot of things like the 401k, when, when it first started, it was big business, right? Uh, Fortune 500 companies were taking advantage of it. Well, now anybody can have a 401k, you know, and we're part of what we feel is kind of a similar migration with 831Bs, right? It was big business, Fortune 500s, and now most small to mid-sized businesses, entrepreneurs can have their own 831B plan and take advantage of the tax efficiencies and also the risk mitigation that it offers. That's really what we do. All right. So what's the benefit? What's the downside? Why are people going and using 831B? Who does this apply to? I just threw a bunch at you. But. Yeah, no, that's that's great. Well, let's let's start with what the benefit is, right? Well, so mm-hmm. if you own a business, right? If you're if you're a small business owner and let's say that you have a business that generates say five million dollars a year in gross revenue, right? That's a that's a pretty decent sized business. Well, let's say that you can set aside, you know, up to 10 to 12% of your gross revenue into a captive insurance or micro captive insurance company, right? Well, all of a sudden you just took a half a million dollars of profit off your books, right? You don't pay taxes on it. You expense it out of your business. It goes into this entity that you own, right? You control the money can be managed. It can make money. And you also have a layer of insurance, you know, a protection that you don't have with your traditional insurance. So let's go back you know, the last year, right? Especially the last two years, right? The, the crazy world that we live in with COVID. A lot of businesses last year filed business interruption claims with their traditional insurance carriers. I can tell you. They were right? denied, right? They were denied, right? Yeah. Most of them, if not all of them were told, unless you had an earthquake, a flood, a fire, et cetera, you can't even file a claim. And oh, by the way, there are exemptions in your traditional commercial policy for pandemics. Yep. Right? 
I and, see that over uh, and over and over again. Everybody's right. trying, they sue them, they do everything they can, but the insurance companies are standing strong saying, hold on for a section. Second, yeah. we literally said this is an excluded coverage. Exactly. And to that point, right? So, so out of necessity, business owners, you know, so they, they looked at things last year and said, okay, I'm going to have to address this with after-tax money, right? I, I, I hope I have a rainy day fund, right? But mm-hmm. odds are it's after-tax money. Well, with our program, what happens is you set money aside for those types of things. And then if they happen, you have pre-tax money, right? To go fight that fight. Now, the hope is it doesn't happen, right? The hope is that you put the money into the program. Policies are one year in length, right? So just like ordinary insurance policies. And the things we help you insure for are things like that. Third-party business interruption, political risk, right? That's a real hot button right now. Dispute resolution, supply chain interruption is one that is just, just really, really popular. So those are things that either A, you can't get coverage for on the open market, or B, you're underinsured for, right? And if you have insurance, there are gaps in your coverage. It's like that business interruption. Because, because they'll let you have it, but like maybe they'll say, hey, we'll let you do business interruption, but it's going to be a $25,000 deductible and it's maxed at 100 or you know, something. Exactly. It's just really limited. And so I just want to make sure that I'm being very, very clear for people that are listening out there. From a layman's standpoint, this is a tax deductible insurance program. So I'm putting the money aside but if I just put it aside in a, in a savings plan, I don't get any benefit. But if I meet the requirements of 831B, I get a tax deduction for it. And then what would I pay tax when I use it? Like if it, if it, if it did, like if I made a claim against my own insurance policy? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, no, that's a good question. So, so yeah, so while that policy is in place during the year, and you said it very well, Toby, um, that tax deduction, right, is obviously the incentive. And that's part of the reason why Congress put it into place, right, in 1986. There had to be an incentive to save money, um, and that incentive was the tax deduction, right? During the year, if you have a claim, you can access those funds, right? It works just like ordinary insurance. You file a claim, we go through, we determine the loss. Um, you know, as as the 831B plan administrator or the captive manager, we handle all of those things for our business on our clients, right? Mm-hmm. And so you can access it via a claim during the year. Um, and depending on the type of, of loss you suffer or expense you suffer, it may be taxable, it may, be, may not be taxable, depends. We always say talk to your CPA, right, mm-hmm. to verify. Or you can always give us a call. And we can talk about an individual situation. But that money can grow during the year, right? It's invested, right? Um, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, fairly conservative, traditional mm-hmm. insurance type investments, right? But without any investment gains are the clients, right? It, it's your own insurance company, right? That's kind of, we're kind of flipping that, that paradigm, if you will. It's a paradigm shift to instead of paying premiums to a third-party insurance carrier and never getting any of them back, at the end of the, you know, if you make no claims, you don't get your premiums back, right? Mm-hmm. Under ordinary insurance. Well, with captive insurance, with micro captive, at the end of the year, when the policy expires, all of that underwriting profit, all those premiums that weren't used for claims are underwriting profit to your insurance company. And any good insurance company loves underwriting profit. I mean, that's how, that's how, that's the reason why insurance companies have their names on every single building, stadium, you name it across the world, right? They love that surplus or that underwriting profit. And so what happens is when those policies expire, you have three different options. One, you can leave the money there and allow it to continue to grow, right? The second option is you can declare a dividend, right? And it would come out as a qualified dividend. And so instead of ordinary income tax, you're going to pay a qualified dividend tax rate. Does it have to pay tax at the corporate level first or can it just distribute those? No, yeah, that's the beautiful thing. So when you pay premiums into your micro capture or your 831B, right, it does not recognize those premiums as taxable income. That's the sweetener, yes. right, of, of this. And so, yeah, that's nice, right? So if you put a half a million dollars in that to your captive, it's not going to pay taxes on those. The only taxes that a captive pays 
or micro captive is on investment gains. And I should say realized investment gains. Right. But other than that, at the end of the year, when the policies expire, right? What level would it be taxed at? Corporate rate? C Corp. C Corp. Yeah, they're C Corps. They're standalone separate C Corps. So right now it's 21%. Who knows, you know, down, down the road what it might be. I've seen some different proposals. I have a sneaking it's, suspicion. I want to say something. It's all off the table right now. So they had it up to 26.5. They had it going down and then they just removed it. So the yes. existing proposals, as we sit here today at the end of 2021, nothing includes a capital gain hike increase or a corporate tax increase. But all so that's what we had seen as well, Toby. And so, like I said, you can take a qualified dividend, right? You can loan yourself the bulk of the funds as well which is a really efficient way to access. Yeah. So, so think about it this way. So you, you write the funds off on the front end, right? They go through this mechanism. You have a good underwriting year. The end of the year, all of a sudden you say, hey, you know, I need a loan. I want a shareholder loan. We don't care what the loan is for. You can use it to go reinvest. You can go put it into your business. But this is where the IRS comes in, right? And they say that's actually a disguised distribution. or th- like they, This is probably why they're losing their... Over it, right? Good question. Yeah. So, so, and that's where we come in, right? As mm-hmm. an administrator or a manager, what we do is we make sure it's a performing note, right? Because to be honest with you, that's the key, right? When you start to look at anytime anybody's got AFR rates, rate, you do the minimum rate and you make sure that you're actually paying on it, right? Yeah. Principles and principal and interest. Anytime yeah. anybody's gotten sideways with the IRS, especially with, with uh, loans in these types of vehicles, is because they're not performing notes. So yeah. that's where you have us to lean on. And we make it very easy, very turnkey. We perform, we perform all of the duties to make sure that you're in compliance with those those types of things. All right. Here's the big question. How much can you deduct each year? And is this per individual, per business, per can your business have two, three? Like what's the amounts? Yeah. So so let's talk, let's start at the top, right? So the tax code right now says you can set aside up to $2.4 million a year into one of these captives, right? 2.4 million. 2.4 million. Uh, there's an inflation rider attached to this tax code. And so the truth of the matter is we, we anticipate, yeah, you're going to see that go up. Oh, it's going to go like crazy. Inflation's absolutely on fire right now. Exactly. And, and so, it, you know, it might jump two, three, four hundred thousand. We'll see. Right. Um, but as it stands today at the end of 2021, it's 2.4, right. Going into 2022. So that's the max that you could set aside. We have some internal control mechanisms from a compliance standpoint that says 10 to 12% of your gross revenue. Is, is, is kind of a number to look at, right? And there are variables in there. That's just a very general assumption, but it, it helps people kind of wrap their head around, hey, this might be a fit or this might be something I want to look at. So those are those are kind of the mechanisms right there that, that we use. And so obviously you've got the tax code and then our inter- internal mechanism. Right, so to get a $2 million deduction, what is it going to cost you? You're going to, so we have two types of fees, right? We have we have a fixed annual fee that, that covers the bare minimum with, with the program, right? It covers us doing the tax returns, all of the day-to-day operations, et cetera. That's $5,000. Right. You're setting up an insurance company. So for five grand, you're setting up an insurance company. You're the administrators for it. So it's going to be professional office. And I know you, like, I I know you guys. So you have an insurance, a separate insurance company that does all the claims. Yes. But the client is setting up an insurance company and I'm sure it has to have pooled risk and all that. It's like, you're probably going to have to lump it in with a bunch of others and take at least a portion of the monies and, put it in a pooled account, but let's say that you set this up. I can literally get a $2 million deduction for five grand. Well, that's a good question. Yeah. So five grand fixed, and then we're going to retain a percentage of your premium. It's 3%. 3%. Right? Yeah. So 3%, but we also retain risk with all our clients. So, you know, if we retain 3% of your premium, 
on the high end, right? So, so we have a graduated scale up basically, mm-hmm. right? So we retain anywhere from 10 to 3%, right? If you will, right? So on the low end, it's 10 as you move up that number of steps down. But if you have a claim in a given year, whatever percentage of your premium we retain, we're on the hook for your claim. Our frontline insurance company that you referenced is on the hook for that percentage of your claim. So you're creating an incentive to make claims against your own insurance company. So you don't just play around with it and just leave. Right, right. It's gotta, it's gotta be a valid claim. We don't, we don't Mm -hmm. want casual claims. And at the same time, if you have a claim and it's valid, absolutely. We need it made, right? I mean, that's what these vehicles are set up for from a risk mitigation standpoint. Tax benefit is great. And and we're not naive enough to think that that's not why business owners look at this a lot of times, but I can tell you over the last two years, um, I've got more than probably 40 or 50 business owners that will tell you the only reason they're still in business is because they had one of these things prior to COVID. So, so let, let's look at it this way. It's things that you can't get insurance for. You're underinsured or you can't be insured. Like pandemic insurance, right. you're not going to be able to get it. Nobody's yeah. going to give it to you. So you could set up your own pandemic insurance policy. And let's say you're worried about PPP money, employee retention. Hey, I don't know what the government's doing. They just did this retroactive nonsense where they made companies give back a whole bunch of the employee retention credit. They talk about doing this bizarre stuff right? just to make it harder to run business because it's not hard enough already in the middle of a pandemic. Right. right? They, want, they want to make sure you got some hurdles you got to jump over. But there's, I know I have a bunch of clients and they're worried. Let's say they got a million dollars on the hook and they're like, I don't know if they're going to forgive it or come back after me. Could I take that million dollars set aside and put it into a, this type of vehicle? Let's go over the numbers real quick. So it cost me 5,000 bucks to put it together. Right. And it's going to cost me 3%. Do, do I like, do I have to write a check for the 3% or let's say that? Oh, no, yeah. Yeah. Great question. So, so whatever we retain, we just retain when premiums are paid. Right. So you're going to get a premium invoice. And yes, to, to that point, you know, we offer a political risk coverage, right. That, that speaks exactly to kind of what you talked about. There's a retroactive tax breaks removed. Right. This would have actually just impacted us because last month they, they made it retroactive on the fourth quarter for the employee retention credit. I know I have clients. I know people that had uh, over a million dollars of payback simply right, because right. Congress decided to do something and said, hey, retroactive. Boom. Right. They like didn't that. even think about it. They just, I was going to say a special word, but <laughs> they really hurt some businesses out there. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it's it's true. And so, so to your point, right, any of the policies that we set up now, you know, and it would be for 2022 and forward, right? Or if you started mm-hmm. one in 2022, but yeah, you're right. You know, hindsight is 2020. I mean, so cliche to say, but the truth of the matter is, is the- We just went through it. Yes, right. And And they they keep saying they're going to do it again. They say we can make retroactive tax law changes. Right, right. And and you almost can't predict the types of things, to your point, that businesses are going to face. And so, you know, if you have excess funds, if you have had had a good year, if you had a run of good years, it makes sense to set a little bit off on the side. Let's write it off the books, take advantage of the tax benefit, self-insure for these risks that frankly we can't make up right i mean we just we know they're out there right you know as as any business owner knows that there's things that keep you up at night right you lay in bed and you just think of you know what else could happen especially over the last two years so Um, so, that's what this is designed for all right so let's go back to my example of a million dollar premium payout it's going to cost me five grand to put it together it's going to cost me three percent of that premium Well, good question remember i talked about that sliding scale on a million Uh bucks it's five percent so it's 50 grand right so it's going to cost five to set it up 50,000 in retained premium that we retain with that risk. So it's going to be $55,000, but you're going to write off the, hundred, the, the million. Right? So the million dollars is like, let's say it was an S Corp. Yeah. So it's dentist, doctor, somebody. Absolutely. That's going to be tax savings of at least 
$370,000 plus state tax, right? Yes, exactly. So I always use a seven to one rule. Like I want seven times the tax savings right. for any dollar I spend. Right. So this seems like I'd be right in that ballpark of about Absolutely. seven to one. All right. Right. Now it's in there. Right. So now it's in there. And I have a policy for a year that says, hey, if they shut me down again, I can make a claim against the insurance. And it sounds like it's it's a real insurance policy. Like I would have to prove what my damages are and all that stuff. And you have a claims adjuster. Absolutely. And they say, all right. So let's just say scenario, doctor gets shut down again. Dentist gets shut down again because of some new variant. Very real possibility of this, guys. Absolutely. And let's say that it pays you out 500 grand. You're going to have taxable income of 500 grand, but you're going to get back the 3% premium charge or 5% premium charge yeah, from us. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and one important or important point, Toby, is for every dollar that goes into the program, you actually get $2 in coverage. Okay. So, so, you yeah, so there, there is a, yeah, there's a, there is a, a true principle of insurance here, if you will. Right. So it's all, every dollar in gets you two in coverage. So there's that risk. Good question. So, so what happens is the client's going to own the first half of their risk, right? Because that's the money they set aside. And then what happens is you get our risk that we retain, right? Our frontline insurance company retains. So we have risk and then we pool risk. You, you know, you alluded to that earlier. What we do is let's say everybody in a political risk pool in a year, they own a pro rata share of that policy or that pool, if you will, based on the premiums they put in, right? So there is an element of risk sharing here, which as you know, the IRS says you have to have to participate in a transaction like this. In reality, do you ever reinsure that? Do you ever go out and get a reinsurance policy to cover some of that? So we do. Yeah. So yeah. So we do have stop loss policies out there. And, and truthfully, Cardinal Point is, is involved in this as well. Our frontline insurance company, and I should tell you this, Toby, in essence, what we really form is they, they, they're looked at as micro captives by the IRS, but they really are reinsurance companies themselves. They're actually reinsuring the risk with Cardinal Point, not to get too much into the weeds. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's that's how it works. And, and I, you know, to give you an idea, just just real general numbers, you know, this year somebody that put in say a hundred thousand dollars into the program, they're probably going to pay somewhere between a hundred and five hundred dollars total across multiple claims that they participated in if they don't have their own, right? Mm-hmm. So so the risk sharing is there, it's real, but but by utilizing the law of large numbers, we we mitigate that risk as much as we can. So worst case scenario, let's just say I put it in there. I'm getting a pretty good sized tax savings. I do have a policy that covers me. If I exhaust my policy, like if I make a full on claim, I get it back. I'm just undoing my tax deduction in essence. Yeah. And then if there is no claim and it's a bunch of profit and under these numbers, we'd have 5,000 plus an additional 50,000, $55,000 of expenses. I'd have profit of about 945000 that then would get distributed out to me and would be treated as long-term capital gains. Absolutely. And, and I should say yeah. as well, while the money's in there during that year, it can be invested, right? So our hope is that- Hopefully you know, it grows. Yeah, it grows, even if it's conservative, right? Even if it's three or four or 5%, you know, that, that can offset our fees very quickly. How much has to be pooled with the for the risk pool? Is it like a percentage of the total uh, premium paid? Is it a dollar amount? What is it? So yeah, so good question. So so a couple of things. One, we we ask that, that the client set aside thirty percent in a loss reserve account. It can still be managed, right? Um, but you that's still make we, income on it, but it's in the risk pool. Right, right, and and we, that's where we would pull claims from. But as I mentioned, you know, most years, you know, claims are are sub three percent, right? Even even last year in COVID, claims were we saw an uptick. But still fairly minimal, right? And that's why I give you that number. You know, I think that last year, I'll give you just an example. One of our biggest clients who did 2.3 million, 
right into the program. They didn't have a claim of their own. In unaffiliated third-party claims, I think they ended up paying around eighteen to twenty thousand, which sounds like a lot, but you know they wrote two point three million off. Yeah, the investment advisor went out and got them five or six percent on their money, and they still know, came out ahead. They actually oh, yeah. put in two point four. They ended up yeah. paying twenty plus, probably sixty or seventy or eighty or whatever yeah. you guys yeah. plus plus the cost. So let's just say they're out 120. Right. Tax savings was 700 and some thousand, 740,000 plus. Exactly. Yeah, plus their state taxes. So they may right. be more than 800. Why is the IRS attacking this? And, and what are people doing wrong that's getting them burned? That's a very good question, Toby. And here's why, right? And I, I say this all the time. It's anytime there's a tax incentive attached to something, the IRS is gonna look at it really closely, mm -hmm. right? Because it's lost tax revenue. Right, whether it's R and D credits, whether it's conservation easements, opportunity zones, microcaptive insurance, right, which is what we do, they look at that closely. And, and here's the unfortunate thing about it is that previously, and when I say previously, I'm talking 10, 15, 20 years ago, there were some some actors that got into the space that were starting to misuse the tax code. Right, they were only selling the tax code. They weren't looking at it from a risk mitigation standpoint. And truthfully, where people go wrong, you know, I alluded to it earlier, they go wrong where they don't share risk, right? and or they're not operating the principles of insurance, meaning you know, there aren't policies that are generated, there are not, there's not a claims process, there's no risk pooling, those types of things. To be, to be honest with you, the, the problems are fairly elementary, right? And that's where, as a manager, where we come in and say, this is how our program is designed from a compliance standpoint, from a risk mitigation standpoint, we're gonna check all those boxes. The IRS references something called a four-part test to participate in a transaction like this. We've been doing that for the last 12 years before they actually officially started talking about it. And that has to do with transfer risk and that risk pooling, operating under the principles of insurance, all those things. I've seen it. And I, I, am I incorrect? But the ones that they're really hitting the hardest don't actually have an insurance company as a component. They're just, you're just setting it up and then it's pretend I'm going to make a yeah. claim against myself. So you're like, make a claim. You do this. Oh, and you're like, <laughs> yeah, no, it, that's, it, it, that's what it is. You know, they're, they're either not paying the premiums or they never are issued policies, right? Could you imagine, you know, an insurance company, you pay in premiums and they never send you a policy. Well, that's not what a real insurance company would do. Right. So for the IRS, it's easy to say, well, that's tax fraud. So you actually have Cardinal Path is the or Cardinal Point? Yeah, Cardinal Point. Yep. They issue the policies. Like I said, we use a third-party licensed adjusters, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it, it, this runs and, and acts and operates as an insurance company, as it should in order to, to, to uh, elect under this tax code. Okay, so who uses these? Like, who's your typical client? If you're talking to people out there, is this, hey, if you're a builder, hey, if you're a dentist, hey, if you're a doctor, hey, if you're running a traditional business, hey, if you have a bunch of employees, uh, hey, you have a physical location, hey, you're a restaurant. Is this who you're talking to or who's your typical yes. client? <laughs> yes, our, so our typical client, it, first of all, you can apply this in any industry. Let me say that up front, right? There's no shortage of risk. Our typical clients are usually closely held family businesses or partnerships, right? And our clients gross anywhere from a million dollars in revenue to two or 300 million. And I realize that's a massive delta, right? But I will tell you, you know, our typical client is, is a family business, closely held business. It doesn't matter the industry because we are in all industries, right? And they probably do somewhere between, our, our average client probably does somewhere between 3 million and 6 million in revenue. Like I said, we have that huge delta, but I would say our typical client somewhere right in there, you know, and a lot of times they're past what we call their spending phase, right? I mean, they, mm -hmm. they made some money, you know, they bought the house, they bought the boat, they've done these things. And now they're sitting here with this business saying, okay, I, you know, there's things keeping me up at night. I'm looking at the big picture. 
you know, what can I do to mitigate some of this risk that I can't insure? And or what can I do to set myself up or the next generation or my key employees that I want to take the business over down the road? What type of things can I insure? So let's just go over it. Yeah, yeah, let's let's talk about that. So really, so we, we offer about 13 to 14 different coverages, right? That are that are there, risks that will help you cover. And think about it this way: everything that we help you insure really is something that would potentially threaten the cash flow of the business, right? So your traditional insurance does a great job insuring tangible assets, right? Buildings, inventory, fleets, et cetera, homes, um, all of those types of things. Where we step in is we have what we call them enterprise risk management coverages. They're things like your brand, right? Dispute resolution. If someone brings legal action against you, you have to respond, right? And pay, potentially pay a settlement. Employer liability practices, political risk, right? I mean, and, and you dive into those, and those are they're written very broadly to capture the all of the types of things that may happen under one of those coverages. Whereas traditional commercial insurance policies are fairly narrow um, and there are exclusions in there. We try to capture as many things because we want these to be an asset, right? And those, that's just a taste. Unauthorized access is another. Think about cybersecurity, right? So if, if somebody, you, somebody shuts you down and says, hey, I want a big ransomware, a big yeah, absolutely. money to give you back your data right. or something like that, you could insure that. Absolutely. Or for example, let's say you store customer data and someone breaks into your system or a disgruntled former employee does, and all of a sudden you have to pay for credit monitoring. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, those are insurable risks, right? Supply chain. And our supply chain coverage doesn't just cover what happens within the four walls of, say, a manufacturer or a fabricator. It'll go all the way across the globe. Like, so for example, if you can't get a part from somewhere in Asia or somewhere in South America and you have to go find another supplier and it costs you X number of dollars more, that's an insurable risk. What about I'm a builder and you know you're going to get sued at some point because somebody's mad because your roof starts leaking or something goofy like that, or you have warranty claims. Can I actually insure that? Absolutely. No, that's a great question, Toby. So, so yes. So builders, we, we have a lot of builders that utilize our program and they're self-insuring for, to that point, dispute resolution, subcontractor default is another one. Let's say you're a general contractor and you have a subcontractor that goes out and does a job and then they disappear and they didn't do their job right, and you're on the hook as a general contractor, well, this is a way to offset that, right? Um, And then warranties. To your point, we offer what we call safe harbor plans as well that allow you to uh, ensure your warranties, basically set up a warranty program, service agreement programs, you know, in the self-storage space, like let's talk self-storage real quick, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, think about tenant insurance, right? Well, we offer a protection plan alternative where the self-storage owner of the facility actually can offer their own, right? And they can charge for it. Right. So you can use an 831B for that as well. So we offer a lot of customized products as well. And if it's it's one of those things where if someone has something unique enough, Mm -hmm. a lot of times we can address that. Interesting. Now, uh, how about the type of business? Let's say that I'm a C Corp and I do one of these. I'm going to be maxed really at 21 percent. Right. That's going to be my total benefit. Yeah. If it pays out dividends, is it coming back into the corp or should I always do this through a flow through entity? Yeah. So what I'll tell you is this: there are no restrictions on the front end entity. Right. I mean, obviously, we want to make sure that it makes sense for you. Right. From from a, from a numbers perspective. Right. Because we understand that, that you know, it's got to, you've got to win as the business owner. Right. But we have C-Corps. We have S-Corps. We have LLCs, sole proprietors, partnerships, you name it. Right. So we have them all in the program. You know, we're careful to make sure that the numbers make sense. Right. When, when dividends are declared, uh, a qualified dividend comes out the back end of one of these vehicles. It comes out to the individual. Usually, unless a business owns it, you can send it back to a business. You've got a lot of options, and that's where advisors come in. You know, people like you, Toby, right? You come in and you step and say, "Here's you what." You probably we want to have it to where it flows down to the individual. So, if you're yeah. doing this, you might want to have your C corp have a contract with the outside 
absolutely s corp to actually put this in place and then you're deducting from the c corp the s corp's then deducting it and yeah. so you have a zero probably you're zeroing it out right and then when the when the dividends come out it flow it retains its character and goes to the individual shareholder absolutely. hey um that's all fun stuff can i ask you a really uncomfortable question sure have you guys had any issues with the irs and if so how, how has that come out because I, my understanding is that they were going after every single micro cap I know there was a case decided in the micro caps favor very recently that that they beat the IRS and that having repercussions throughout the industry like the IRS was really mad for some reason and were they just out over their skis or were they just what what, what was the IRS doing and then how is it resolved now and and, and how have you guys dealt with it? Yeah, no, great question. So, so first of all, what I'll tell you is we haven't had any issues with the IRS. You know, we're very conservative in our approach, right? So the IRS is aware of our program. Frankly, you know, that they've looked at our program a handful of times. You know, so for example, let me give you an example real quick. A client, maybe, you know, they, their main business, they own, let's say they own a marketing firm and they get audited, right? For whatever reason, the IRS auditors come in, they look for the biggest deduction. They say, oh, you own a captive, right? A micro captive. And then they ask for premium invoices, how claims are paid, et cetera. We provide all of that. Not once has an auditor disallowed the deduction with our program. And, Fantastic. And further. Yeah. So, so we do that. They're looking at these things closely. Yes, absolutely. And, and so to that point, we haven't had any issues. We actually view the IRS scrutiny as, a, believe it or not, as a good thing. I know that sounds kind of like an oxymoron, but the truth of the matter is we look at it as it's cleaning the tax code up. It's getting rid of the abusive practices. You know, and to that point about this most recent court case um, in tax court, we've been watching, we've been aware of this since late last year, early this year. And we were hearing in the legal circles, very positive things early on saying, hey, there are really good facts for this taxpayer. Well, it was interesting to watch. And then finally, the IRS conceded. Basically, they walked away. Our understanding is that the IRS wanted them to settle because then, you know, the IRS could point to the fact that they forced the taxpayer to settle. Well, this taxpayer, our understanding was they were going to go all the way right? Um, because they knew it was insurance. And when the IRS brought in insurance professionals to look at this, they very quickly were advised, this is legitimate insurance, right? Um, and, and you may not have a case here. And so ultimately, rather than losing tax court, they conceded and walked away. So the, the moral of the story is have a separate insurance company, have actual premiums, have an actual policy, yes. run it like an insurance company, have pooled risk, don't play cowboy. Don't go out there and do anything crazy. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Everybody needs to like, like it sounds like you are almost have it. Like if somebody's making a claim, you guys are on the hook. So you're probably like going to push back saying no willy nilly claims. It needs to actually fit underneath this policy. You just can't make stuff up. Absolutely. And that's exactly right, Toby. And, and one thing I'll add to that is so something somewhat unique to us in this space is that we offer a written guarantee. It's in one of our contracts with all of our clients that if you're ever to be audited as a result of owning an 831B with us, right? And as long as you're in compliance with us and you're following the rules, et cetera, that we'll provide the legal team and the legal defense on our dime. And our attorneys um, that we have on retainer are all former IRS prosecuting attorneys or chief counsel in the micro captive space. Nice. So, you know, they're in private practice now. And so we feel like we've got some of the best and brightest legal minds in the space. From a compliance standpoint, our program is run through them. They mock audit us on a regular basis to make sure we're, we're within the bounds, right? I mean, and, and so because of that, you know, you know, everybody says, has anybody ever had to use that guarantee? The answer in 12 years is no. So, you know, uh, it's out there. Um, we're very confident in our program, but no one has had to use it today. 
Okay, let's say somebody's listening to this, like we're doing it at the end of 2021, but let's say that it's any time towards the end of the year. Can I prepay premiums? Like if, if I was really aggressive, could I set up a company, prepay the premium and take a deduction this year? Absolutely. Yeah, no. And, and, and you got to think this way, right? You can, a lot of businesses prepay their insurance for the next year, mm-hmm. right? So absolutely. 12 months in advance. Like I think it has to be a contract that's 12 months or is it 12 months or is it a calendar year? Yeah. Yeah. 12 months. You know, so, so to that point, we, we do have a lot of business owners this time of year that are sitting down and saying, Hey, you know, we barely survived or we had a good year, but I'm really worried about X. Right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, is this something we can do this year? So we can actually get one of these things set up within seven to 10 business days okay. um, and sometimes even shorter. Right. So if someone was interested, they wanted to do it or wanted to pursue it, there is time, you know, at the end of the year, you know, if it pushes into the next year, that's fine. But if somebody's looking to take advantage of the full benefit, we actually did a, uh, a podcast the other day where we talked about you're getting one set up for next year and or taking advantage of the, of the tax deferral aspect as well. So there is time to get something done if someone wanted to do something this year. And then next year, do we know what the amount that they'll be able to put in? Do you know when that'll be published? Good question. So we'll probably see something early spring. You know, the, the thought is somewhere between 2.5 and 2.6 based on inflation. You know, it sits at 2.4 right now. 8%, like, like 8% of... Two million is like an is going to be another, yeah, two hundred grand. It's going to be interesting to see, yeah. So, so we'll see early spring, but um, you know, it, it is going up, and so that's the other thing, right? Is is more businesses are paying attention to it, right? It, it's becoming an important enough or a big enough number to say, hey, we can set this money aside, and and it's meaningful down the road to us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you coming on, Ed. You've been very transparent. We've worked together for years, and I really appreciate what you do for our clients and the fact that you're doing it right. I think that we're pretty good about picking the winning horse. And in this space, there wasn't anybody else that we felt like we could talk to that that wasn't just, they were doing it for the wrong reasons and you guys do it for the right reasons. So I really appreciate that. Thanks, Toby. I appreciate it. Um, you know, if anybody's interested, 831B.com is our website. You know, obviously you can reach out to Toby and he can put you in contact with us. It's great. We love working with you, Toby. You know, you guys do great things and appreciate the opportunity to be on your platform. Perfect. And we'll share out their information so you guys all have it. So if it's something that might fit your bill, I'll read, just go straight to them. You don't need to You don't need to talk to us. You can just say, hey, Ed, help me out. I'd love to get a nice deduction, but I'd also like to take action against some things that may happen in the future, especially with this nasty pandemic and the government showing an inclination to shut things down repeatedly. So if it's affecting you, then this might be your safety net to make sure you have a pot of cash there instead of paying it to the treasury keep it in your realm. Perfect. Thanks, Ed. Yeah, thanks, Toby. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode.